Welcome to the Layer 8 Podcast. This podcast is in conjunction with the Layer 8 Conference, which is happening for the third year on Saturday, June 6th, 2020 in Providence, Rhode Island. The Layer 8 Conference is the first one to solely focus on social engineering and open source intelligence, or OSINT gathering. Social engineers and OSINT investigators always seem to have a great story, and you can hear many of those stories through their presentations at the conference. But not every story can fill a whole presentation, and not all storytellers can get to the conference, which brings us here. This podcast will only be stories told by the investigators themselves. No interviews, no slides, just stories. Some might be as short as five minutes, some may even go for 45 minutes. I hope you'll enjoy them. Hi, everybody. My name is Patrick Laverty, and I'm going to be your host tonight for this episode of the Layer 8 Podcast, where we're going to do something just a little bit different and break our format. Normally, we just have social engineers and OSINT investigators on here to tell a story. But instead, tonight, we thought it would be a little bit fun to get two social engineers together to kind of uh, answer questions that you might have asked. So, Because we have these two great social engineers on here tonight, we also want to make sure that you know that all they're really going to be talking about is their own opinions. Nothing that they say should reflect anything about their employer. They're not representing their employer, current, future, past, anything like that. So keep that in mind as well. I got a whole bunch of questions here that I'm really looking forward to asking them. And also we can talk about how this really came about. Let me introduce these two that we have for you. Uh, We have both Snow and Tinkersec. Hello, thank you so much for having us. Howdy, pleasure to be here. (laughs) So I remember it was uh, a few weeks ago, actually I have it up on my screen, so I know exactly when it was, March 5th, that this whole idea came about from a tweet by Snow, where she tweeted out, imagine if I ever did a physical security assessment with Tinkersec. You'd probably hear me say things like, Tinker, we can't kick down doors. Tinker, (laughs) go put the DC server back. Theft isn't in scope. (laughs) Tinker, that one is my wig. Go get your own. That that one one hits uh, close to home. (laughs) (laughs) And Tinker, use your inside voice. Yeah, I got one volume. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I pictured that one being used the absolute most. I... I've got thoughts on that, actually. I, I don't know if we want to dive into that right now, but uh, yeah. Yeah, let, let's do it. Do it. Well, so, so I, I, was, uh, I was in a gig. Uh, uh, it was a, a physical break-in in, in Italy with, with an old colleague of mine. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll get past all the stories, but essentially I found myself in the back um, hacking into a router uh, while, while she had gone around and kind of identified all the security cameras and then the security camera uh, management console and basically uh, made motions to, to turn all that off. Uh, anyhow, um, I started talking with her and kind of going over everything I was doing, and, and, and I've, got my, I've got my voice. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm doing all this, you know, what have you, speaking uh, as a loud uh, American or Texan in the middle of Italy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I burst out laughing uh, for something, and she's like, shh, 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 and I kind of look over to the side, and <laughs> the person we had just conned into opening this back uh, room for us, uh, she was staring right at us, and I went, oh, oh, oh sorry, and kind of went back to it, but she thought that, you know, we were just bantering or, or flirting or just, you know, having a good time while they're on our purported uh, uh, pretext of upgrading all the systems, 
And I realized, you know, if I had been quiet during the day, you know, this, this, is, this is in the middle of, of business hours, we had conned our way past. If I had been quiet, that, that might have looked suspicious. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas, you know, uh, if I'm over here like hush, hush, and like, what are they doing back there? Whereas if I'm over here, you know, whoa, yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, um, then they're like, oh, well, they're just doing what they said they do. You know, they're upgrading servers and waiting for that to be done, and then they'll leave. So I found that uh, uh, usually just being really loud and just kind of walking in with all bravado, strutting, et cetera, usually uh, uh, works well for, for my purposes. No, actually, I love that. It's like you have to act like you belong there. If if you're quiet and meek and, and you're trying to blend in, sometimes that's a red flag too. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I like to do when I tailgate is pretend I'm on a phone call and I'm, I'm distracted, but I'm actually like normally talking to my mom or <laughs> someone else and actually having a legit loud conversation yeah. and because it doesn't look suspicious. So yeah, I, I agree there. I'm going to key off that one real quick, Snow, because uh, uh, you mentioned that when you're on the phone, you, you, you're actually speaking to your mom. I, I, will, I will usually, if I'm on the phone, you know, given that as a pretext distracting, uh, um, I'll usually call up either a colleague or a friend or even a partner who knows what I'm doing and, uh, yeah, hold a real conversation. I, I, I found out when you try to do the whole movie phone kind of thing where you pick up a phone, you're like, yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, 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 it's all stinted. You're not, you're yeah. not actually having a conversation. Um, whereas if you're actually talking to a real person, uh, it, it's, it's more natural that way. So I found that I don't really lie when, when doing con artistry or social engineering. I just, I don't know, find a way to tell the truth on the side and make it work for the evil things I'm doing. I like that. Now, do you guys have any kind of ethical line that you won't cross? Let's say that illegal is, you know, obviously out the window. Is there anything that you really just wouldn't do anywhere you wouldn't go? Well, legality and ethics have nothing to do with each other. Exactly. And I mean that dead seriously. Yeah. Um, so yeah, ethical question. Uh, Snow, I'll kick that over to you. Yeah. So, so typically like when I'm crafting a pretext or just doing, you know, coming up with a story, whatever I'm doing SE, I have three things that I follow and I follow it in this order. Is it legal? Is it in the rules of engagement or in scope of the client? And then is it ethical? So kind of getting into that ethical question. Yeah, there, there definitely are lines, right? I don't think involving alcohol, um, possibly flirting. Um, I mean, th- there, there are gray areas for sure. There are some things that I personally won't do. Um, but one that was actually recently asked of me of a client was to hack into their employees' social media accounts, their personal social media accounts. Well, that's illegal. Yeah, and exactly. And that hit my first checklist right there. <laughs> like, nope, I'm not going any further. But even, let's say it was illegal, there's no way. I, yeah. For my ethics, there's, there's no way in hell I would do that. Yeah, for me, um, my again, if it's legal uh, and if it's within scope, and so if we're just talking about ethics, ethical constraints, uh, for me, generally, anything is open except um, if it can cause uh, uh, c- negative consequences to an individual person. Mm. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, in general, if, if say like I tailgate behind a person or I fish, you know, a person, if you will, uh, uh, I don't generally give that person's name except in a couple instances, and I'll get into that. But uh, I found too many times, uh, especially 
starting off where I'd say, oh, yeah, I, I, I tailgated behind this person. And they're like, okay, cool. Well, uh, and I'm like, you know, hey, if, if I can tailgate behind a couple people, well, that's a systemic issue. So you need to make sure you put in policy procedure, you audit, you train, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The idea is if I could, if I could tailgate between one person, I'll be able to tailgate pretty much behind generally anybody uh, in, in, unless the, that person's being extra special beyond uh, their systemic things. But what I found out early on is if I gave the name of an individual, they'd usually just get fired. Yeah. And, and they say, okay, well, we dealt with the person. It's like, whoa, 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 no. Two things for that. One, I caused a person to lose their livelihood and, and I'm not going to do that. Um, but two, they actually, they haven't solved the problem. They, they, they use a person as a scapegoat. Um, the only time that I'll, uh, I'll, I'll mention the person is if they are sea level um, or if they're, you know, high, high level uh, IT accounts. Like, you know, if, if I'm able to fish a domain admin or the CEO lets me in, which has happened, I'll be like, okay, because they're not going to get fired. They're going to be like, okay, yeah, I need to learn. And, and you can use that as an example. The other thing that I, I'm very, very careful to do is not to uh, uh, go in or, impersonate um, anybody that is uh, in, in, a, in a vulnerable situation or, or is not within a majority situation where they don't have leverage. So uh, for instance, it is absolutely possible for people to go in as the cleaning crew. But if I go in as a cleaning crew or, I've, or I have the cleaning crew open the door, those folks are working typically minimum wage. They have no leverage whatsoever. They're liable again to get fired or something along those lines. And so I'm, I'm very careful that, you know, if I am going to do, I'll demonstrate that it could be done, but I'll make sure that I don't do it again. I don't want that consequence. The last thing is if, if, if I will affect a person themselves. So um, I, I once went in and I conned a, uh, it was around Thanksgiving and I conned facilities to let me in, uh, basically under the guise of a sprinkler uh, uh, assessor. Uh, the idea is I could go anywhere, right? Well, the person that let me in was uh, the facilities, like the second in command because facilities was, was out for the holiday. Um, I went in, told, went through the whole thing, and then I let them know at the very end, hey, uh, uh, this is really what, what was happening. I, I conned you, et cetera. I'm sorry, just so they could be prepared. And I think that was okay because it didn't really affect them. They weren't worried over the, the holidays that they, they let somebody in, et cetera. One thing I wouldn't do is I wouldn't do such a long con on a person, individual, you know, even, even prepping them up, et cetera, to where if they found out what I had done, uh, they would be, you know, affected. They would turn mm -hmm. paranoid. So, you know, you can absolutely play up to somebody's ego, especially if you're going after a C-level. Um, you know, if they, if they did a, a conference talk, you say, hey, I loved your talk. You know, I'm interested in this, so on and so forth. I don't see anything necessarily wrong with that. But if somebody has like a pet project that, that you detect on social media and you email them and, and work up this long kind of uh, process, it is valid in that it's a valid attack. But if they find out you weren't who you say they were and that affects their life, I generally won't do that. I found that I can con people much more in short cons that don't have lasting effects on individuals and still get uh, done. So I, I try not to affect people. Yeah, that's fair. And something I've seen a lot of consultancy recently do is have policies around naming individuals who yeah. fell for social engineering, which I think is great. And then calling out, you know, giving kudos to those who, who deserve it. Yes. And I think, I think that's awesome. So has there also 
ever been a time uh, when you actually feel bad for deceiving somebody, basically feel bad for doing your job? And how do you deal with that? Snow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like a monster because I can't say <laughs> um, something specifically, which I feel bad, but I don't feel bad because I'm doing my job to help my client, right? So as long as I stay within those three things I mentioned, legal, rules of engagement, ethics, um, I'm doing my job, right? Uh, I can't, I honestly can't think of any specific situation that has really, really bothered me, I guess. Um, again, because I'm turning around and giving recommendations for my client and that's what they're paying me for. Yeah, I, I kind of live by no regrets in the idea that I wouldn't do something that's regretful. And generally these are strategic intentional decisions that we're making. You know, sometimes you make a mistake, you know, in, in the moment, but uh, that you can't prepare for. So generally, no. Uh, the one thing that I'd say I reg- uh, that I regretted was, was a mistake that I made early on. It kind of leads in this idea of, of naming individual people. Is um, uh, uh, used a badge. I, I was part of a um, was part of engagement where we used uh, we went on social media and found somebody with their own badge uh, uh, on social media, and we used that to create our own fraudulent badge. Uh, and the person who, who posted it, and this is a very common thing, uh, they said, oh, look, I've got my first job at this big thing. I'm just starting my career, whatever it was, posted the badge of where they worked, and they specifically said, I know my dad would have been proud of me. Uh-huh. And uh, this was early on, and we had, we had to kind of, you know, the idea is say, hey, we, we got this information from the person, and we didn't protect his name. Uh, part and parcel, we, we had to make a decision of, hey, this is still up there. It needs to be taken down. Um, I found out better ways of doing it now. Usually just reach out to the person individually um, and make sure they take it out before I turn in the report. Um, but uh, what ended up happening was, yeah, uh, the, the, the person who hired us said, cool, took care of it. We fired him. I'm like, he, he was proud to work there. He was excited. In fact, if you would have told him what had happened, he could have been, uh, uh, you know, he could have been a person who would have gone out and evangelized about security. He could have, that could have been his story where, Hey, when I first started, I put up my badge, but it was used in this pen test. And now I know. So let me now go tell other people not to do it. It, it, He could have been an asset. Uh, And that's really the one that I feel bad about. And again, it kind of, it kind of, uh, uh, directed my ethics because he was affected. Uh, even though it wasn't my decision, and even though I adamantly um, told the uh, uh, the client, "Hey, do not do this. It, it no, it's an hurt individual. It doesn't solve your problem. Don't do it." The client still did it, so it was kind of out of my hands in that sense. But uh, I I was able to control if they knew who it was to begin with. And at that time, I was naive, thinking, "Hey, I'm a consultant. They're going to listen to me." <laughs> it turns out yeah. that isn't what happened. So that, that's yeah. regret. That that hurts, especially when when you're trying to help them and you see like all you had to do was train them properly or give them the right instructions, and this situation probably wouldn't have even happened to begin with if they were yeah. properly trained. And yeah, that's that hurts. I guess I mean that's not something that I've actually done, but that has affected me because you see that and it's it's frustrating because I think a lot of people, if they're trained right up front or you know it really impacts them so they understand security, I think people would change. And unfortunately that isn't happening as often as it should. Hmm. So has, has there been a, a situation where you've come close to getting busted, but you were still able to talk your way out of it? 
Yeah. Good question. <laughs> what, what, what happened where you almost got busted? And, and is it just kind of improv thinking on the spot to get you? Yeah, in? yeah, it was. So um, I had I had gotten myself into a uh, um, into a target location, uh, and again, I, I use basically the the sprinkler uh, investigator. I've stopped using that because that has become well known. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but uh, uh, essentially, I went up. This one wasn't even a prepared pretext. It, w- it was an opportunistic pretext. Uh, uh, I walked in. It was a shared office building. I saw that there was construction going on, on the ground floor. I turned around, went into the trunk of my car, and I, I had kind of an array of different outfits and disguises, and I picked up the. Uh, uh, you know, cargo uh, carpenter jeans with a uh, a pressed clean tan Dickies shirt. Oh. Uh, specific, thank you. That specifically says, "I'm not a laborer; I'm a supervisor." I opted not to get the uh, the high vis vest, uh, but I did get you know the the clipboard, etc. Uh, and I walked in and 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 um, basically looked around the area. Uh, knocked on a door and someone opened the door and I immediately stepped in saying, Hey, I'm here to look at your sprinklers. We're doing construction downstairs. We just pressurize all the system. I need to see if there's any, uh, any leaks. And the person walked me through, took about 30, 45 minutes talking, pulling stuff out of my ass of what a sprinkler investigation is supposed to look like. I don't know, but he didn't <laughs> know either. So that was Perfect. okay. And uh, finally at the end I said, Hey, I need to write my report. Um, do you have a conference room or, or a place I can sit down? They said, sure. And, um, it had been after hours. I went in right at basically 4.30, and so most of the people left by the time I was done. And he set me down at an empty cube and left. And so I go, cool. So I pull out my, my computer. I'm, I start jacking in, and I'm, I'm about to start hacking. Um, and uh, I hear a door slam shut, and a person I'd seen before, supervisor, came barreling around the corner and looks right at me and says, you, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> so I stand up, I look him right in the eye, and I go, are you Acme Corporation, the client name? He goes, yeah. I go, are you on floors two, three, and eight? Because I knew where they were on, on the shared one. He goes, yeah. I go, well, then I'm supposed to be here. And he looks back at me. He goes, uh, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> wait, where's your security badge? And I go, am I supposed to have a security badge? He goes, yeah. I go, why don't I have a security badge? <laughs> and he goes, why? Well, I, I go, look, I, I just need to do my job. I've already looked at all the sprinklers. I need to write up this report right now. If you need me to have a security badge because that fits your rules, then get me a security badge. I, I want to do what you need me to do, but I need Turn to get back to work. Oh, and, 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 and he, he goes, oh, okay, and gets his, his, his colleague, his subordinate. They run me down, get me a security badge. Don't, don't check anything. I come back up, and now, now I've got a proper security badge. Um, and so he knew, you know, the supervisor knew that nobody's supposed to walk around unless authorized. Authorized meant having a security badge. And uh, he challenged me as he was supposed to do. And he got me a security badge as he was supposed to do. <laughs> and so at that point, everything's legit. It followed their policy and procedure. Everybody was happy. That is awesome. So, yeah, I've had definitely a time where I was pretty close to getting busted. Um, I was doing a red team engagement and I was doing the physical portion of it. and. 
for those of you listening that don't maybe understand the difference between a typical physical security assessment and a red team engagement, um, physical security, you're testing, you know, the people, the building, you know, a handful of different things. It's, it's very specific. Um, but with a red team engagement, typically you're trying to get on site. You're, you're trying to stay, you know, as low key, not get caught, not make any noise and typically drop something onto the network to continue testing. So that was my job for this specific one was to plant something on the network and get in and get out. So one of my favorite things I like to do is kind of, I call it the reverse tailgate. Um, you pretty much tailgate as people are leaving. So instead of following them into a door, you wait for them to exit and then you go in. And I like to do that as people are getting off work. So if they kind of get suspicious or want to question you, you also know they want to get home. So they're less likely to report you. Um, so I get into the building um, through reverse tailgating. And in the lobby was a reception desk. And they had a drop-off area for people who had security badges or guest badges for the day. So I grabbed one that had a vendor badge just because I'm like, oh, cool, maybe this will work. Um, and took the elevator, gone to the floor I wanted to get onto. And of course, the badge didn't work, but I still had it on me because a lot of times, you know, just the visualization of it, people will believe. Um, I was able to tailgate into the floor and um, it was pretty empty. So I was going around plugging this device in, you know, talking to um, my guys that were doing the test, like, hey, is it connected? They're like, no, shit, go try, you know, go try another port. So I'm like hopping around this building, trying to find somewhere where we could get a connection. And I found a vacant um, office. So I go in there, plug it in, it works awesome. And the second I step out of the office, I physically bump into the security guard who's making night rounds. Yes. And I just like, I've never physically bumped into anyone like that. And we both scare the shit out of each other. <laughs> um, so it was very mutual. Um, but he kind of just was like, Whoa, what are you doing here? Kind of a thing. But then he looked at my badge. So I was lucky. I didn't really have to talk my way out of it just by wearing that badge, even though it didn't work. Um, he, he didn't question me actually asked him to to show me a couple areas is because there's a couple more small things in scope and he actually led me to things that um, helped me complete my goal so thank you Mr. Security Guard. Getting security guards to walk you around is the best you I mean you're fully authorized okay. at that point. Yeah yep. So it's kind of uh, interesting how you both kind of bring up like opportunity and being opportunistic. Uh, a couple weeks ago I got to talk to Cat um, Murdoch a little bit about the value of luck and how much luck really plays into social engineering and how much of luck is really uh, preparation or like, uh, I think it was Alif Dennis said that a lot of your luck is also going to be your skill in recognizing when yes. that luck, lucky opportunity comes up. What do you guys think of the value of, of luck versus preparation and how does it all fit together? So snow you mind me stepping on this this is, yeah, this is my yeah. religion uh, yeah go for it i want to hear it so as as a uh as an acolyte of eris uh and chaos uh you know luck being a flip of that um luck favors the prepared the, the both are, are hand in hand that that very same um uh, uh break-in that i did where they where they confronted me and, and i basically turned it around on them and they got me a a badge uh, I, I proceeded to do a lot more in that location. Um, but what ended up happening was that same supervisor who challenged me, I, he still was kind of, uh, uh, you know, his gut felt wrong. And if your gut feels wrong, it feels wrong, it is wrong. Uh, and so he followed up. He got security footage of me 
And uh, I said specifically, hey, I'm a sprinkler investigator. And so he, he validated me. I didn't know this until after the fact. He called down to building management or whatever and said, hey, uh, there's a guy here who says he's here to investigate sprinklers. Is that legit? And they said yes. Hmm. And the reason why they said yes was because I specifically was playing off of the, uh, the construction that I had seen down on the first floor. Turns out after I left, the actual sprinkler investor came an hour later to do the actual run. Um, and, and that's when they realized something happened. But by that time, I'd already gotten out and, and achieved actions on target. That was lucky, but it was, it was because I had, uh, I had played off a thing that I'd seen and it was absolutely feasible. And so luck favors the prepared. It's, it's also an opportunistic kind of thing, uh, you know, seize the day kind of thing. But it's only when you prepare enough, when you do your reconnaissance, when you, you've practiced your pretext, you know, when you're used to, uh, um, you know, having your improv done, all that kind of stuff that you can seize upon opportunistic luck as it goes. Every single day, every single moment, there's luck going left and right. Um, and if you're not prepared, you can't seize it. Uh, in this kind of sense, though, it, it, it's very much they have to go hand in hand. So luck, to answer your question, luck plays a part every single time I go. Uh, I, I've been able to get into IT shacks that that night they were uh, they left it open, whereas normally it's locked. But what I end up finding is, in general, there, there's you know I'll find two or three lucky things that night, um, and they're not there the next night. But I'll find two or three noon things the next night, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so the idea is just reconnaissance, situational awareness, and seizing on what presents itself in that moment. Uh, uh, so if that answers your question, Snow, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think another thing to add to that is when bad habits are established, it's easier to stumble upon luck, I guess. Right. So if employees are used to letting people tailgate or, you know, they leave doors propped open, it kind of makes it a little bit easier, but I totally agree with, with everything you said, you know, um, being prepared definitely helps in that sense you know between OSINT and even on-site reconnaissance too yeah. um, I've heard a good number of individuals that do um, physical assessments where they spend a lot of time in OSINT which is awesome but they don't necessarily spend a lot of time doing their on-site recon which I find interesting because that's when I'm able to actually see in person mm -hmm. and evaluate okay employees are using this side entrance they're not using yeah. the main entrance and um, that kind of stuff goes a long way with physicals and I think it's it's really important as well. I, I almost think luck is instead of thinking of it as luck luck is like chance that there's nothing you did it fell in your lap kind of thing and that yeah. does happen but right. but part of what we do is it's almost luck is a statistical probability. Mm -hmm. uh, it might be a, a more rare probability, you know, five, 6% or whatever. But, you know, if you're the unlucky one, you just fell in that 5%, right? Yeah. Um, uh, whereas if you're, if you seize upon that luck, you just happen to be there and it seize upon that, that statistical kind of thing. So again, yeah, the more you, you more you look in OSINT, uh, Snow, you're absolutely right. Active reconnaissance on site mm -hmm. or something casing a joint um, is exceedingly important. And as you observe, as you just take a moment, um, you know, spend two or three days on, on, a, on a three or four day op just doing reconnaissance, you will find 10 things that you're lucky to have found kind of thing. Yeah. And you just seize upon one. How do you do your, um, your on-site recon uh, without really kind of raising any flags, without getting busted. So that way later on when you come back and you're actually trying to get in, they're not, they're not like, mm. aren't you the one that was just kind of like wandering around or asking you to use the bathroom or sitting in our lobby for three hours? How, 
How do you do that kind of thing where you kind of still stay invisible while you're still trying to get as much information as you can about the location? So I think for me, a lot of it is um, external, right? Recon. So I spend a lot of time doing that. So I can really identify which doors I want to use, maybe um, what type of physical security controls, what type of badge readers are using, things like that. So that plays a big part into it. So a lot of times when I'm doing that, I'm not seen, right? I'm in my car, I'm parked away, um, maybe chilling in a smoke pit. If When I do move on to my internal recon, that's typically when I change outfits, I change looks, I have glasses, wigs, things like that. The more I can make myself not look like myself or whoever I'm wanting to be the next day, um, it definitely helps. And in those situations, that's when I try to play more of the fly on the wall, right? You don't see me, I'm not talking, I'm trying to be as invisible as possible. Um, and it depends too on who the client is, right? If it's something like a place where they have a lot of customers coming in and out of, that's easy you're not going to be seen. Um, if it's like a very, very small office, that's when it gets difficult. And sometimes internal recon isn't going to work, right? You kind of just have to go into it and take the test from there. It kind of really depends on who the client is at that point. Yeah, I agree. Um, the kind of the big thing is, you know, you ask the question, how do you not get caught? Most people aren't situational aware, so you just don't do anything too loud and they're just not going to notice you. Uh, the default position is not being noticed. Um, if you start acting too suspicious or you start acting way too loud or what have you, and you go out of that median norm, that, that's when you get detected. I'll, uh, I'll do the same thing. So active reconnaissance is either out of hours or in a crowd or uh, uh, away from it at a distance and they just don't know you're there. Um, I'll also do the disguise thing. I found it's, it's really helpful. I'll go in, you know, with a beard and a bald head one day. Uh, and if anybody sees me the next day, I'm going in with a full head of hair and shaved a, a face with a different outfit, et cetera. Um, because who grows hair overnight kind of thing. Um, and uh, uh, I found almost if I can use a, a network penetration test, uh, analogy, it's almost like changing your IP address at that point. Um, you know, hopping through a VPN or a proxy or, or, or what have you, uh, changing your disguise. Because if you're out of context, people just do not recognize you. Uh, yeah. they, they just won't see you. Everybody thinks of disguise, especially male disguises, male wigs. You know, they're thinking clowns or something like that. I, mm -hmm. I just, I have, I have hair that looks like yours, Patrick, and I just, and I wear glasses that look like yours, and uh, um, and it looks normal. It's just kind of out of us. No, you've seen my my uh, my wig. Yeah. Um, or one of my wigs rather. Um, but, but that's kind of the, the thing that plays it. You, the, the big thing is you really got to try, how do I say this? So the easiest way not to be caught is know when to quit. Mm. Um, so yeah. you, you don't want to go and try to con one specific target and spend an hour with them imprinting yourself into their psyche and then at the last minute brazenly go up and hug them in order to clone their badge. <laughs> you know, the, the next day when you use that badge and the person goes, Hey, you use that badge. You go, no, I didn't. I wasn't. Oh my God. The person who spoke to me for 10 hours or for an hour last night was really creepy and finally came and hugged me. I know exactly who he is. Let's go through the, the cameras. <laughs> You don't want to imprint yeah. on that. So, yeah. you know, if you try a con and it doesn't work, drop it, move on. Yeah. Uh, I've done that plenty of times where I'm like, hey, can I, you know, uh, you know, try and do like the reverse tailgating like you were talking about, Snow. Mm -hmm. uh, I might go in, I go, you know, hey, hold that door open. They, they kind of brush me aside and, and, and keep going, let the door shut. I just keep walking. I don't, I don't stay around the door, you know. Yep. 
So that's yeah. kind of the idea is just know when to move on. And something else too that I always teach my students, there's a handful of things you don't want to do, um, not just necessarily in recon, but I think in general, and again, it's pretext depending, but I always say don't wear like super bright colors, don't wear bright mm -hmm. lipstick, don't wear loud, bright, colorful jewelry. Um, I don't wear heels because normally if you're in an office with like a floor, you can hear that a mile away quick, and I want to be quick. quiet. Exactly. Even strong colognes, right? You don't want to do anything that brings like a lot of attention to yourself. So typically when I'm wearing clothes, like it's, it's more of neutral colors, you know, um, things like that. So that's also something to keep in mind is, is what you're wearing. And I remember the first time I saw Tinker in a uh, costume, I'm pretty sure I was really mean to you and I kind of feel bad about it. Cause I think I said something like, you look like a really depressed accountant. Who, <laughs> And I'm pretty sure I said a lot more things I'm not going to repeat. But it was just really, really sad. But it was perfect because... That's literally he, what I was going for. <laughs> yes. No, it, that's awesome because he could blend in anywhere and you, like, I would have never, like, you know, like, it's just, it's crazy, like, how much you can change your appearance by your clothes or your hair. And I think posture. not wearing those, yeah, posture. Yeah, you, yeah, you had that one down. That was really, <laughs> I felt bad for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I embraced it. No, you're absolutely right. Now, uh, what Snow's describing is the concept of a gray person. Mm. Uh, and the idea is you want to be able to, you know, a lot of people, uh, uh, especially coming up to me, they see how debonair and just dropped it gorgeous. I am. They're like, oh, well, you're a honeypot. It's easy for you because, you're, you're, you know, you can get anything you want, right, through sex appeal or what have you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to be objectified. I don't want to be demeaned kind of thing. Um, but, but in all sincerity, you, you want to be able to have, you know, the, the girl next door kind of idea. You, you, you want to be able to build rapport on the fly. You want them to feel comfortable around you. You want them to trust you implicitly and then immediately forget that you ever existed as soon as yeah. you pass out of their, their, their sight. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's interesting how you both talk about your disguises and it, last year at the layer eight conference when <laughs> tinker first got there and i got to meet him for the first time uh you know I, i'd never seen him before in my life and you know he was in one of his costumes and he <laughs> kind of came up to me and he's just like can you tell and i'm like what are you talking about like, i'm wearing a wig i'm like i had no idea I'm like, yep looks perfectly good yeah. So also, if you, I, I think most other people at the conference had no idea that Tinker was in costume. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you can do if you want to kind of get an idea of how surprised people were, um, all the talks from last year's Layer 8 conference are up on YouTube and lots of people have watched Tinker's. One thing that you can do is near the end of Tinker's presentation, uh, Snow comes up and starts speaking as well. And one thing that you can't see because Tinker was never on camera mm. is that while Snow is speaking, uh, Tinker's standing off camera, changing out of his costume into what he normally looks like. And at one point, you can hear audible gasps in the room. <laughs> he started removing the, the wig. And, and I was like, holy cow, that guy that we've sat here listening to for the last 40 minutes is not the real Tinker. So, yeah, if you want to hear how surprising that was, go to the Tinker's presentation, especially to the beginning, which is near the end of the whole thing where Snow starts speaking. You can actually hear the room gasp. It's, yeah, it, I would like to add my perspective to that for a second, please. please. 
Um, so Tinker was like, hey, you know, Snow, come up and tell a story. I'm like, that's fucking weird, but okay. Um, so I'm getting up there, and I'm, like, telling a quick story. And out of the corner of my eye, this motherfucker starts taking off his shoes. I'm like, what is he doing? And then he takes off his pants. Like, literally, right in front of the first row. Like, there are just people staring. And I'm sitting there trying to, like, stay composed and tell my story. Good job. I don't, I don't know how. Because you're literally undressing, stripping, right in front of a group of people. But it's perfect because it's not on camera. It's, but the reactions were, were incredible. It was probably one of my favorite um, conference moments ever, just because of the reactions. It was so good. I, I have one caveat, and then I'll tell you about the, the, the reaction that I got in one of the front rows. The one caveat is, Patrick, you said that I went from my disguise into what I really normally look like. That's an assumption. <laughs> I, 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 I went from one disguise into another. Um, and I was trying to, you know, do the idea of, of being able to kind of, I don't typically do the fast change like you would in order to break a tail. Uh, yeah. cause I don't normally, if I have a tail then I've screwed up something, those are on like very active, uh, uh, uh spy kind of things where you're going after a, a, a highly skilled, um, incident response. Um, uh, sometimes though I will break in to uh, a building with one disguise and then go to the restroom and then change into a different disguise to come yeah. out of the restroom. And that way I've broken a tail at that point, but I really don't need the whole thing. Funny thing though. Uh, uh, I was looking at, um, oh, who was it? it? Was it Whitney? Um, yeah, I think it was Whitney. Uh, what's her last name again? Maxwell. That's right. Whitney Maxwell, a wonderful person, a, a, a very accomplished social engineer herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was sitting up in the front and I went over, kind of off to the side and started taking off clothes. And when I started unzipping my fly and pulling <laughs> down my pants, I, for, for the listeners, I had another pair of pants underneath. <laughs> I don't want to say that part. I wanted to let them kind of imagine. But go ahead. I, I was wearing nothing underneath my <laughs> pants. Um, and so I start unzipping and pulling it down and I look up and Whitney's staring right at me. And, and I kind of give her one of these like, Hey, what's going on? Kind of looks, and she looks away in abject disgust. You know, I just—I was like, "How dare you!" I'm over here invading my privacy by changing in front of everybody. You know, my eyes are up here. You know, and it was just a wonderful uh, exchange. Uh, I should yeah. probably apologize to her at some point. I've never wished I had a pocket full of ones at that moment <laughs> in my life. You flatter me, Snow. Thank you. Oh, that was good. That was that was a good one. <laughs> so I guess along those same lines, what's like the, the most absurd thing that you've come across during an assessment or even the funniest kind of thing that you've experienced during an assessment? Hmm, absurd or funny. Are, are we limiting this to physical and social engineering? Hmm. No, just let it rip. What, whatever you come up oh, with. I guess the two of, well, Hmm. So, so you, you come across a lot of absurd things. Uh, I once, for instance, took over uh, domain admin in a network. Uh, I took over the entire network by basically using the company's welcome one, two, three password, the, the default onboarding password. Turns out one of their domain admins had that same password and that hurt. Um, in a physical sense, this was really fun. Uh, I did a gig where... Um, I, 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 they wanted me to try to get in both by social engineering and physically bypassing things. And I was like, I think they only gave me like one night, maybe two nights. Um, and I was like, come on guys, seriously, <laughs> you know, what yeah. are you paying for? Um, and so I, I, I went there and I tailgated in, uh, ended up laying low for a long time, did a lot of stuff. It was great. Um, 
left and then came back at night, climbed up on the roof. I'd done uh, OSINT using Google Maps and satellite view and found a roof access uh, panel, climbed up on the roof and got in through the roof access panel, uh, uh, climbed down into literally the, the janitor's closet. I always joke that I hacked into a janitor's closet. I, I, this time I came out of the janitor's closet <laughs> and, and went into the, you know, the, uh, the break room, et cetera. Uh, so I'm doing all these things, I'm doing both social engineering and physical bypass. And I go in the final day to, uh, testing is nominally over. I'm still within scope, but it's nominally over. I've done everything I, I sought to do. And uh, uh, I go in to meet them, again, as myself, a, as the consultant. And I walk in the front door, and there's nobody in the lobby. And the normally locked and badge-controlled uh, uh, doorway inside, past, past kind of the, uh, the man trap, is pro- or it, no, it, didn't, it, didn't, it hadn't seated properly. And so I went in through the front door. No one was there. And I pushed open to the door. And I basically broke in through the front door. And I'm like, you're kidding me. I didn't need to do any of the, the <laughs> tailgating. I didn't need to go in through the freaking uh... roof access. I could have just walked in the front door. That's uh, silly. That's rough. <laughs> that is my third finding. I, I reported it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's funny. I um, So I had something funny happen. So I was doing a physical assessment for a client and they had um, inside their lobby, they had like no turnstiles or anything like that. However, to get to their specific floor, you had to have a badge that works. So you had to badge in and push the floor, kind of like some hotels. And so my plan, because RFID wasn't in scope, um, was to, you know, come in the morning and try to tailgate as many people, tailgate-ish, I don't know what that would be called in an elevator, ride the elevator hoping someone would badge in. Hmm. So um, I had stepped in with a handful of people. Nobody went to the floor, so that really sucks. I had to get off, get out. Um, thankfully, there was no, like, security guards or anything that were watching me because that would have been suspicious as fuck. Um, but I finally got in with a guy, so I'm like, you know, crossing my fingers the whole time, like, please click the, you know, hit the button. And he gets in and he just stands there. I'm like, all right, why isn't he, you know, why isn't he badging in? Why isn't he oh, pushing any buttons? He's and then, yep. Is he yep, breaking in yep, too? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he wasn't breaking in. He wasn't breaking in. He was a sales guy trying to get oh, onto the floor. So uh, yeah, technically. Right. Yeah. And so I just look, I'm like, Oh, Oh, I think you need to badge in. He's like, Oh, go for it. I'm like, Oh, I lost my, or I left my badge at home. Do you mind? He's like, Oh, I left mine at home too. I'm like, we just look at each other and we're silent for like a good awkward 30 seconds. I'm like, all right, this is not going to happen. So we both get out and start tailgating together. And it was amazing. That's straight out of a movie uh, right there. We're we're two opposing teams. Look, look, sales guys, they're some of the best, uh, uh, and saleswomen, they're some of the best uh, social engineers out there. It's applied conning. Absolutely. So that's hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I did. So I did my backgrounds in cells and I've been able to carry so much of yeah. those techniques into what I do. It's amazing. It's, it's really cool to see the crossover between cells and even marketing. I use yep. tons of marketing and phishing campaigns. It's yeah. So anyone who wants to do phishing, I would honestly suggest spending hours reading marketing blogs and figuring out like call to actions and like yep. just all these different things you can use and that shit makes your stuff go so much more successful. It's a one-to-one. Uh, everybody's like, hey, mm-hmm. let me read. You know, How do you train to become a social engineer? And, and there are some books out and some training that, that are, you know, Snow, you do training specifically on applied mm-hmm. social engineering within a security sense. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but, but I always say two things. Uh, uh, one, um, 
look at all the old cons. Mm -hmm. uh, the old cons are, are the new cons are saying, Snow, you did that yep. talk at Layer. Right. Yeah. If you want to go watch it, it's on YouTube as well, where she goes through all the old cons and, and kind of how they can apply today. That, that's absolutely it. Go study the old cons. But really, if you want to study social engineering in person, you want to study vishing uh, over the phone, mm -hmm. you want to study phishing, go to any of your local colleges that have a communications degree program and go audit comm courses, just yeah. communications. That is phishing is just email marketing. Uh, vishing over the phone is telemarketing. Yep. Conning in person, social engineering in person is just giving your sales pitch right then and there. And they'll talk about warm leads, cold calls. Yep. Uh, they'll talk about building rapport, about closing the sale, call to action, sense of urgency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that all applies. It's literally the same thing. That right there is probably the best advice I feel like anyone could receive who wants to be a social engineer, right? Because I think a lot of times people are asked, oh, how do I become a social engineer? And maybe people who don't do it practically, like, oh, you know, maybe go learn some hacking or, you know, go learn how to, I don't, I don't know. The, the advice I've heard is horseshit, but that right there, I think will get you so much further and so much more successful than people that are, that are actually doing it today. Awesome. Now, it, along the same lines, um, once people learn to become a social engineer, how much value do you think there is also in being able to be like a have hands on keyboard uh, hacking skills? Because is it all just being able to get in when you're a social engineer and then take a selfie in the data center? Or is there more that you actually like to do once you get in and get your hands on a keyboard? So that's, that's a classic question of do I specialize or do I generalize? And, and I think that you should absolutely take that approach. So the more you generalize, like me, I, I consider myself full scope. So I will, I will uh, engage in, uh, you know, I will test logical, physical, and social systems. So uh, computers and everything, social situations, and physical uh, intrusion bypass. Um, I'm fairly good at all of it, uh, you know, about 60% across the board. Snow's better at me uh, than in, in conning and physical bypass. So I, a lot of my earlier stuff, I called her asking uh, for tips and training. I was on site and she's like, try this, try this, try this. I remember that. Yeah, we, yeah we, we, didn't, we didn't even work together. I, mm -hmm. I was, that specific one, I was supposed to go in as an insider threat. They were supposed to let me in, but I was held in my, in my hotel for, for basically three days. And said, they specifically said, we don't have authorization to get you a badge. Can you try to break in? Like, what? <laughs> I, I had I, I came completely unprepared. What have you? Know, I called up Snow, and and I don't even know that you knew me very well at the time, and, and you walked me through a lot of kinds of stuff and etc. Um, but uh, uh, hold on one second. What were we talking about? Because I want to <laughs> dig off on tangent. Uh, like using like technical skills with social engineering. Oh, so really, the idea is. Um, uh, if you go in as part of a red team or, or, or you're, you need to facilitate the, the logical side, plugging in, hacking, keyboard, then you need to be aware of how your role fits. But there's nothing wrong with specializing in social engineering and specializing in physical bypass. You'll become very good at as a specialist. The flip side is you don't want to specialize yourself into obsolescence. So you don't want to, you want to make sure that you don't become the one who's perfect at it, but then nobody needs it, right? So that's why I like to go a little bit more generalist myself. But it's pros and cons on both. Uh, 
uh, I, uh, you know, there's only a limited number of band, there's a limited bandwidth that you have in training and skill set, just with the idea of how much time and effort and experience do you put to it. So while I, I really like to branch out, that, that's a personal decision that I've made. If, if there's anybody that's a specialist, they're always better than I am at, at their given specialization. I just might have a little bit more breadth of it. But the, the, the short answer is both are good and valid. Um, if you want to specialize, it's fine. If you want to join, it's fine. Just know the pros and cons each and at least know the context of where you are. Uh, you'll do a lot of physical um, pen tests where you're just testing the physical security or the social policy and procedure around it where you need to just take a, a, a selfie. A lot of OT environments, uh, industrial control center, you, you're not going to go plug in stuff. Uh, you will cause damage and, and, and possible loss of life and limb. And so all you can do is do what's called proof of access, which is just a selfie. Um, but yeah, that's a long-winded way of saying either one's fine. Just know what you're getting into and know the context and know the pros and cons. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I think, too, um, something else to keep in mind is I see I have seen people who specialize in just maybe one aspect of social engineering. And I guess I would encourage them to branch out a little bit, right? So maybe not just vishing, right? Look into fishing, look into physicals. There, There is a good amount of different things you can work in under that social engineering umbrella. So if that's something you're primarily really focused on and really want to spend your time, um, there's not just one vector. There's tons of different vectors. And a lot of those vectors can be technical, right? Like fishing, right? That's a lot of that is technical. So I think if you want to become solely a social engineer, that is something um, I would spend a lot of time investing in and learning. And Snow, are you still teaching people how to do social engineering? I am, yeah. We have a black hat class coming up that I am so excited for. Um, yeah, so it's it's we call it full scope social engineering, which pretty much what I just said. It's it's covering all aspects. We're not focusing on just one specific thing. So you're doing you know social engineering principles like rapport building, influence techniques, OSINT, vishing, fishing, and physical. And I think my favorite part of the training is we actually do live calls, or the students do. Um, so it's kind of like a mini SECTF. So everyone's put on a team and, and they go out and find their phone numbers and place their calls. It's, it's really hands-on because I feel like with social engineering, it has to be hands-on. Um, there's a lot you can learn and, and, you know, read about, but really it's going out there and when you're actually doing it, um, that makes a huge difference. And how can people sign up for that class? Uh, yeah, just going to the Black Hat website um, under trainings for USA 2020, but it's called Full Scope Social Engineering. Excellent. So um, also, what's some of the best security that you've ever come across during a social engineering engagement? And I'm, I'm guessing the worst is probably like none. Um, but mm -hmm. also along those same lines, whenever we do like network pen tests, there's certainly things that, you know, we can tell people like, if you put this in place, it would have stopped this attack. Is there anything similar for social engineering where you can go in and say, if you did this, this is the probably one of the biggest things that's going to stop a social engineer. And when I see that as a social engineer, I get real frustrated, like, oh, I'm really gonna have to work at this one. Um, I, I, I'm very passionate about this. Uh, uh, um, and folks might disagree, and that's fine. Uh, if you want to know how to stop social engineering, uh, go to anybody uh, who's in fraud um, uh, and financial fraud and things like that, uh, securities fraud, uh, white collar fraud. 
that's all again applied social engineering is con artistry, grifting, etc. Um, and they'll have a lot of very, very good tools that, that you can use in order to stop it. Um, really, it's, it's kind of a, a two-part thing of what stops it. For your normal employees, users, what have you, it's giving them a small set of simple-to-do things that they do every single time, regardless of whether they think it's right or wrong. So uh, a policy and procedure that you've developed uh, you've disseminated it, you've trained it, uh, and then you've audited it. Uh, but it's the right thing to do every single time. Um, to give you a good example, this actually did stop me in my tracks. Uh, 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 I was in um, uh, France, breaking into places along the French Riviera, and uh, uh, you know had, had a, a colleague with me, and we went in there, um, and... The, it had worked, you know, we, this was right before Christmas and we were doing the whole, hey, we're, we're updating all your systems uh, before Christmas. And it had worked pretty much every place that we had gone. Uh, but this last place that we went up to, um, using the same tricks that had worked literally down the street, um, the person said, uh, uh, okay, sounds great, hold on one second. And he gets on the phone call and calls the supervisor. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to not break away. He goes, no, 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 don't, don't in, in French. He's like, no, don't touch anything. Wait right here. And he proceeds to, uh, uh, to call a supervisor who didn't know about us, called their supervisor, went up, up the chain to the person who hired us and <laughs> said, Hey, uh, make sure, don't let them do it. Make sure they go get, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, authorization and come back. And he told us that, well, we had wrapped up at that point. We were basically done and he had fully stopped us. And so he was the only person that we told had uh, stopped us. And, and um, you know, I expected him, hey, you've passed the test. You, you stopped uh, a con. You stopped a break. I was going to hack into your point of sale systems as I had done everywhere else. Um, good job. Can I get your name? Because I, I want to I give you kudos. And you'd think that he would be happy or excited. He, he was pissed off, like, like full-blown angry. And this guy had been the epitome of professionalism and genteelness, et cetera, was pissed off. He was what do you mean you lied to me? I, I, I need my point of sale updated. It is going to be Christmas. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I've been complaining about this. I, I put in a trouble ticket. I thought you guys were here for that. Um, I need, you're telling me no one's going to do this kind of thing? And who goes around lying during Christmas anyways? It was just terrible. Um, and we left. <laughs> and so, but, but there's kind of a key thing there. He did not detect our con. He mm. fell for our con hook, line, and sinker. But he knew if he had not scheduled for someone to come in uh, and someone hadn't notified him from his chain of command, he had the call to get authorization. That was the policy and procedure. You know, it, it goes in the classic, did they call me or did I call them? You know, typically if they call you, it's either a cold call, a sales call, a marketing call, or a con, in which case all of them are cons, right? Um, <laughs> And so, so he followed that simple policy and procedure and it stopped his cold track, even though he couldn't detect it. Um, the other flip side to that is if there's a technical aspect, so if I was hacking into it, have those backup technical controls, just like you normally would. The, the social, the physical, and the logical, they, they all are combined. And yeah. so the idea is plan to fail and fail gracefully. So assume that you will get 10% of your employees clicking on fishes, then what? You don't have to stop every single attack at every single moment. You can mop it up afterwards as long as you have something mitigating around it. Yeah. 
No, I, I completely agree there. And I think that verification piece, right, where, where he verified you, that goes such a long ways. And that's not just physical. That's also with fishing and fishing. I've had a lot of times where I'm placing calls and I can't get through to someone. And, and they're like, or, I mean, I'm talking to them. I can physically get through to them, just not like mentally. Um, but they're like, you know what, let me, let me just check and make sure I'm supposed to give out this information. And right there, that's one of the biggest thing that stops me in my tracks is when someone tries to verify me or even with phishing, right? And they're like, you know, report it. That goes such a long way just by people questioning. And I think that is something huge that a good handful of organizations are missing. And I think a lot of it is because employees don't know how to report it or who yeah. maybe they're supposed to verify it through. So I think security awareness training should absolutely include steps to report any sus- suspicious <laughs> behavior. Um, but I think, I think that right there would stop me in my tracks so many times. I can only talk my way out of so much. And that's a mm-hmm. hard one. We tend to focus training on, on trying to detect the bad, but there's such an infinite amount of bad. Uh, instead, focus on what is the right thing to do. There's a limited mm-hmm. number of right things to do. If you focus on that, they'll do the right thing. And then the flip, the flip side is, even when you're, when you're training them, I mean, yeah, have aware. Just like teach people some common ones so they're aware it exists. Right. Um, but, but don't try to teach them every single way. You know, uh, it's a classic, how do you detect a fraudulent check? It's compare it to a real check, you know? <laughs> you don't have to find the different ways of fraud. It's just compare it to, to real. So have them know what is known good and, and follow known good. Um, the, the flip side, really to follow on what, what Snow was saying was train them what to do uh, if they think something's bad. I, I, I can't tell you how many times... I've even been confronted where a person's like, Hey, you're supposed to be escorted or, you know, you need to have a badge or whatever. And, uh, uh, it's like, okay. And they're like, all right, well I did the extent of my training. I pointed it out. Yeah. So, so what do you do? Who do you go to? There's a big thing. And, and, and I'll hear a lot of times people, and I believe it's a big mistake. People say, Hey, if you see something, confront them. And, And that might work for like, I don't know, pen testers because we're normally good people doing bad things. Right. Um, but the idea is, uh, uh, I'll give you a great example. Uh, I was, I was breaking into a place. I got stopped. Um, and, and the security guard held me, um, or not held me, but the security guard stopped me and started questioning me, et cetera. Long story short, I knew that I was made, but I went through the whole thing just to kind of test their, their, their procedures for when they catch somebody. Uh, it's mm-hmm. the only job that I know that when I fail, the client's happy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the, the security guard was very well trained and they kept giving me opportunities to leave. Uh, even to the point where I'm like, hey, I, I, I need to use the restroom. Like, well, there's a restroom outside across in, in the store. And the big thing is it was not his job to detain me. He was not the cops. It was his job to protect his enterprise. If he could get me out, he already had my picture. Uh, he, he had me on security camera. He had my full description. He had everything about me. He had the fake badge I was trying to use. Um, he had everything he needed to do a full report. He needed now to protect and safety. So my, my big thing is if, if you're an employee or you think something's going on, you think something's suspicious or it's going outside of norm, I, unless it's your job, I firmly suggest do not confront the person. Either confront your manager or go to security yourself, but uh, don't put yourself in harm's way. If it's an actual bad guy, if it's an actual thief or an actual car getting in, they're not going to want, I, I have a get out of jail free card. You know, I, I'll be fine. They go to jail. They might become violent. 
Uh, so, so I do not recommend that, that the person engage them themselves. Uh, but yeah, they, they need to be taught. They need to know who to go to. If they don't know and they haven't been taught, it's typically security or their manager and let the manager handle it. Yeah, I think that is such a good point, but to do it timely as well, right? There's yes. two instances, right? If I send out a phishing campaign and someone reports it right away, typically IR teams have their shit together. Mm -hmm. You know, they send out mass emails like, watch out for this phishing campaign. They block it. They'll even take it out of inboxes. Like, a lot of orgs are on their game with that, but it takes someone to respond super fast. So that is key. Um, and then another thing, and it's just, just a quick story. I was once tailgating someone and I, or I guess technically piggybacking because she knew I was following her in and she turned around and looked at me and by the way she looked at me, I knew, you know, she was, she was suspicious. She knew I shouldn't have been there, but she didn't know how to confront me, which like you said, I, I think it's smart to have them go and report it to security. Um, but I went through and, you know, I wasn't stopped and I continued testing. I came back later that day, hours later, and I was getting the receptionist to plug in a USB for me and print a file. And I'm doing print a file and bunny ear quotes, air quotes, um, but really open up and executable. Um, but as I'm sitting there talking to the receptionist, the lady who had, you know, had been suspicious of me was behind me reporting me to the security guard. And they're sitting there trying to like get my picture like from the security cameras but this was hours, hours later. I had plenty of time to go through and plant malware and steal laptops and do all these things. So I think with reporting, making sure it's done as soon as possible because it could really make a huge difference there. Awesome. The, the, the thing that I want to end on is really don't rely on your employees being uh, your main safety net. You know, there's a whole, they're the first line of defense and that's true to a certain extent, but your employees just need to do their job. Um, and so, yes, tell them what to do if, if they find something that they feels wrong, it is wrong kind of thing. So who do they go to? Make sure they're trained and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, that Any of that training closes your attack surface. Uh, make sure they do it uh, safely. But that's the big thing is, you know, um, if, if that person didn't feel safe around Snow and Snow was able to get an executable on that receptionist computer, fine. As long as, you know, uh, security does not trump safety. Safety mm -hmm. trumps security. Yeah. Uh, and ideally, uh, uh, you know, endpoint protection and then so on and so forth, other things would kick in after she was able to get her, her payload on there. So, yeah. But anyways, okay. do the best you can. Yeah. Awesome. Still got like, so many questions, but we'll wrap up with just one more. What is something that you've always wanted to try, but just haven't yet? Whether that's a pretext or whether that's a certain industry, a certain type of building, just something that you think would be, that would be really fun to try, but you just haven't yet. And why not? LSD. <laughs> All right. How about anything that's uh, not currently illegal? <laughs> oh, I mean, I, <laughs> I was about to say, I, I hear it has wonderful, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> issues. It's very safe. It's safer than, than Tylenol or aspirin. I've, I've done my research on the dark and I just haven't had a chance. Oh. Um, I don't know. Snow, I haven't thought of this. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't either. But honestly, I think doing a physical assessment with Tinkersack. <laughs> Which I, is terrifying and fun. Like I'm pretty sure. Terrifying. I, okay. Have you met you? I, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's hard to look myself in the mirror every day. I'll give you that. I no, I, I think uh, it would be a lot of fun. I, you know, we should do that. I, I, I think I, I agree with that. You know, we we've 
we are uh, uh, professional colleagues in the industry and we, we share tips and tricks and stories. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, the stories we share each other, we can't share, you know, yep. <laughs> it's yep. like I, I've got about five or six stories that I can share online and, and here. Uh, and that's because I have specific permission and I'm not breaking NDA that the best stories are the right. ones uh, told over whispers and whisk yeah. and whiskey using a friend NDA kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, friend. Day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Patrick, I'm going to go with that one. Uh, uh, doing an op with snow, I think, would be absolutely uh, amazing. So, uh, if you have any listeners that need their their physical security uh, tested, um, uh, we can both uh, work together. I don't know if I'd subcontract with your company or you'd subcontract with mine or or what we'd do. But yeah, we'd make it work. All right. This has been a whole lot of fun. It was even better than I thought it could have possibly been. I want to thank both of you for doing this. Uh, Thanks for doing it. It was a whole lot of fun. Um, so thank you both, Snow and Tinker. Yeah, it was, it was great. Thank you for having us. Cheers, Patrick. Appreciate you having us here. Wow, that was so much fun and so much incredible knowledge from those two. Thank you, Snow and Tinker, for doing this. And thank you for listening to the Layer 8 podcast. If you want to learn more about us, you can check us out at layer8conference.com or on Twitter at layer8conf, C-O-N-F. Thank you very much and hope you enjoyed it.